0: For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Whoever scheduled me for preaching this morning on this particular lesson must have been out of their mind. (laughs) Birth pangs. (laughs) What I know about giving birth, I learned from watching Call the Midwife, (laughs) which in itself is more than I really wanted to know. We should have scheduled Bethel Bowes to preach this morning, who is a midwife, or Barbara Bingham, who worked at St. Vincent's Hospital in neonatal for years. Either could speak more intelligently about birth pangs than I. Just understand that my remarks this morning are particularly uninformed. Consider the source. It's particularly a a challenge for a gay man to speak on this subject. I don't have any personal stories to tell. So we are winding down the church year. Next Sunday is the Feast of Christ the King, and it's the last Sunday of our liturgical year. And after that, we begin again with Advent. As is usual for this time of year, the readings for this Sunday are about the end of times. All these three readings today use apocalyptic language, the language of the end of times. Daniel's vision, Jesus and Paul's warnings, apocalyptic language is marked with symbolic images, the expectation of the end of the world and an imminent cosmic cataclysm in which God destroys the ruling powers of evil. It can be difficult and confusing for us to read these passages and to try to figure out what they mean and how they apply to our own times. It's important to remember that from his words, Jesus appears to have believed that the end of the world was at hand. Paul and the other, others in the early church after Jesus' death also really believed that the end was imminent. They expected that the kingdom of God would come at any, any time, and hence Paul's writings about not marrying and not being concerned about the things of this world. They truly believed that there was no time to be worried about or distracted by, these, by the normal things that people are involved in because it was all about to be wiped away Throughout the ages, there have always been times when people were afraid and wondered if life on the planet as they knew it would survive. In Jesus' time, the people of Israel and many other countries were under the domination of the Roman Empire and things were difficult for those non-Romans under the Roman rule. When the empire fell, People who wondered if, if, if that was a, a struggle that the world would end. As a horde of barbarian armies swept through Europe, wars, plagues, and famines have affected people everywhere throughout the centuries. And those people also have wondered if how, how they would survive, and if these things were God's judgment. It's also a way of saying, You'd better listen to what I've been telling you because there isn't much time to get on board. This week, in addition to Call the Midwife, I watched the NOVA special, Universe Revealed, Alien Worlds, which was about how our sun will die and a supernova and become a black hole and suck us into the depths of the universe. Happy thought the only hopeful thing that I had about that was that it's likely that I will have have exited long in advance. If that's not depressing enough, I watched the reports from Glasgow from the Conference on Global Warming. That was not much more hopeful. Hope and faithfulness can seem like fleeting things, like foolishness when our lives and our world are in turmoil. How can we be hopeful in the face of tragedy and loss? How can we remain faithful when things seem hopeless and we are wondering where God is in the midst of this despair? Václav Havel says, hope is a state of mind, not of the world. Hope, in this deep and powerful sense, is not the same as joy, that things are going well, or willingness to invest in enterprises that are obviously heading for success, but rather an ability to work for something because it's good. Both Jesus and the writer of the letter of Hebrews encourage us to endure for the sake of the kingdom. We are called to work for something that is good, to work for the kingdom of God. When we are in our darkest moments, when it all seems overwhelming, sometimes the best thing we can do is know that somehow God will use our suffering and turn it to good. We may not experience it ourselves. We may not recognize it, but for someone, our experiences may become icons of God's kingdom. As Jesus told the disciples, we do not know when the kingdom of God will arrive, neither the day nor the hour. We don't experience that same urgency that Jesus and his followers or the members of the early church did, But as our church year winds down, as we move into the darkest time of the year, we also turn once again to the anticipation of the season of Advent and all it foretells. We turn once again to the hope in the light of the world, the hope of our redemption and the promise of God's kingdom Those of you who are fans of the Lord of the Rings may remember Argonne's words in the Two Towers when he is speaking to a boy who has suddenly found himself outfitted as a soldier for the coming battle of Helm's Deep. And the boy tells Argonne that the other soldiers are saying that there is no hope of success in the battle. And Aragon turns to the boy and replies, there is always hope. Now, I don't know nothing about birth and babies, but it does seem to me that if any good can be born from suffering, it must be expressed in the love God shows us in the gift of Advent that Advent prepares us for. A child whose suffering carries the weight of the centuries and the promise that all is worthwhile. Amen.